Welcome to Oaks of Righteousness, a simple podcast to share stories of older women who witness God's daily faithfulness in ordinary lives. May these stories point the younger generation heavenward and encourage all of us to earnestly seek wisdom from those who have gone before us. My name is Evelyn Cruz and beside me is Jonathan Cruz. We are excited to sit here today with Anne and Jerry O'Neill and hear about the story God has given them. Because this is our first episode, I'd like to start with some background as to why we started this podcast. When we were working through some marriage difficulties, Irene Heising, who you will hear about on a further episode, encouraged me to talk to Anne. There was no other way to receive her wisdom than to message her and ask to meet for coffee, which Anne did graciously. Immediately I told her what was going on and she spoke much wisdom and honesty into my life. In fact, it was speaking with her that gave us this idea for the podcast. I was reminded that older, wiser women have a colorful life filled with their own sorrows, failures, and joys, but also a grace and wisdom in learning through these things how to draw nearer in relationship with Christ. It is easy to assume that wiser women do not understand our life and the culture we are growing up in, that they have simple, quiet lives with no relation to us. That is definitely not so. We have a lot to learn from these women, and this podcast wants to give voice to this beautiful, faithful plotting. As Isaiah 61 verse 3 says, To give to those who mourn in Zion a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And as Titus 2 verse 3 to 5 urges, Older women, likewise, are to teach what is good, and so to train the young women that the word of God may not be reviled. I tell this story because I want to encourage women not to sit around and wait for a wise mentor to approach them. I think it's wonderful when older women do invite younger women over and there is a relationship that is built slowly over time. Um, But also, if you're really needing this, sometimes it takes a direct approach. Uh, Hi, Anne, I'm struggling in my marriage. Will you meet with me? I believe there are many women in the churches who would love to come alongside younger women and help them. So please don't be shy to ask. I hope you enjoy our conversation today with Anne and Jerry. Afterwards, Elsa Sturm, their granddaughter, will share some reflections. Okay. Um, I grew up in Pasadena, California. Um, I didn't know it was a special place, but, you know, everybody knows Pasadena because of the Rose Bowl. We used to um, go to the Rose Parade, and my dad, this was a long time ago, and it was safer, I guess. I don't know. Um, My dad would walk along the street with us, and he'd find a a little 12 by 12 open space right on the right in the front on what on the blue line which was out into the street from the curb a little ways <clears throat> and he'd say you sit here and don't move till I come back for you and he would come back at the end of the parade oh, wow. <laughs> and you know I don't know how old I was when we first started doing that maybe 10 I don't know what we did before that <clears throat> um, it's great it's a great memory um, and um, I grew up in the uh, Los Angeles RP Church, and it was a good place to grow up. I had a couple of friends who were about my age, and um, 
they <clears throat> they were really different from me, but still we were friends at church, and it was good to have friends at church. Mm -hmm. um, and I had three sisters, no brothers. My parents were really good parents, not perfect. Uh, but as I got older, I learned how good they were mm -hmm. <clears throat> compared to how other people's parents, other people's upbringing. My dad was interested in everything, and he was really good at asking questions. Mm -hmm. And we kind of learned a little bit how to do that, especially around the dinner table. Mm -hmm. And Sunday dinners, we, had, we always had company. We always had pot roast. We say, oh no, not again. <laughs> How can you can you imagine complaining about pot roast? So we I went to public schools, and it was fine, and I did all right in school. Not a great student, but not a bad student. Um, and then I went to Geneva College, and and that was very different, but much much better. But but high school. You know, junior high and high school wasn't bad. It was mm -hmm. fine for me. So Geneva's where you met Jerry? Yes. No. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Do you want the story? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, Jerry was um, my sister, my older sister, two years older than me. She went to Geneva, and she... Um, rode home in a car with Paul Martin, who's a pastor in the, in the RP church now, and he's a couple of years older than us. And um, he worked, Paul went to Geneva, but his parents lived in Southern California. And he worked summers in Jerry's little town in Kansas, Winchester, Kansas, for his brother-in-law who was a plumber. He worked for his brother-in-law. And the summer before our uh, senior year in high school, when I was 16 and Jerry was 17, Jerry rode out from Kansas with Paul to California for two weeks to visit Paul's parents and see the sights. And then, was gonna, then went back to Kansas. And in that trip, we met. Well, actually we met at the very beginning of the trip because my sister was in that car and so they brought her home. Mm -hmm. And I'm 16 and I have Clearasil on my face and it's Saturday afternoon and I'm in the front yard watering or something and they drive up and I say, oh, look at that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and we served him lemonade and they went on their way. Um, they had just driven across the desert and, you know, they were hot and tired. And, um, and we didn't really see each other much um, until the very, probably two weeks later on a Sunday night. Yeah. And um, Jerry and Paul were going to be going back the next day and there was a psalm sing in somebody's house. And we sat in the very back and didn't sing, we talked. <laughs> and I think it was special for both of us because I couldn't talk to boys. I didn't know how to talk to boys. And um, I think it was the same for Jerry. He could talk, we just talked yeah. easily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I gave him my address 
he asked for my address. I gave it to him. He wrote to me. We wrote back and forth over our senior year. You know, there's no, there's no computers or mm-hmm. phone calls cost a tr- tremendous amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wrote letters, and um, then he did the same thing the next summer. I dated fairly seriously that year, and uh, I'm amazed that sometimes we got together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because the next summer Jerry and Paul came back, they did, you know, same story, second time. And I had sent him an invitation to my high school graduation, which was in the Rose Bowl. And it's, it was a beautiful graduation. It was two high schools in the junior college, and we wore different colors, and we were spread out all over the field. And, um, you know, it was quite impressive. What was the name of your high school? John Muir High School. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and he wasn't going to see me because he had this girlfriend at home. But, you know, when the Lord plans it, he plans it. <laughs> and, but he had this invitation to my graduation, and it was at the Rose Bowl, and he was a sports fan, and he needed to see the Rose Bowl. He needed to, like, put his feet on the floor of the Rose Bowl. So he and Paul came to my graduation, didn't tell me. Um, and um, after the graduation was over, there's, like tunnels that you walk out and so I was walking out a tunnel and he tapped me on the shoulder (laughs) I mean how did we get into the same tunnel (laughs) and I jumped into his arms and gave him a big hug he and Paul took me to home and visited with my parents a little bit and then I went off to the senior prom with another that I didn't like, but he was a date to the senior prom, which is how we did it. <laughs> and, um, but that was the beginning of the, of the two weeks, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that was right after we got there. And then after that, we saw each other quite a number of times. We went to the beach with the youth group. We went to Disneyland. I don't know where else we went, but he went home and broke up with his girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) And broke her heart. Yeah. And she and Jerry and I all went to Geneva in the fall. (laughs) Poor poor girl. Oh my gosh. I wish somebody had counseled me on how to help, how to, you know, like interact with this girl. Um, so were you guys writing letters while he was dating her, though? Like, just friendly letters as friends? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. not so frequently, but we did. Mm-hmm. We did write during that, during our senior year in high school. So we went to Geneva and... Um, Got married three years later. Yeah, after our junior year. So I was 20 and he was 21, and in that time... That made him an adult, and but not me. So, you know, at least we had one adult in the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and I stayed on a year, and 
coached at basketball okay. and ran the housing. Okay. Uh, and then he got drafted mm -hmm. at the end, at the spring of that year, like in March. Mm -hmm. And went to, was gone to Vietnam by November. So that was like quite a turn of events that mm -hmm. we didn't plan. Again, that was the Lord's intervention. Jerry had a deferment because he was working at a college. And, um, but the State Board of Appeals in Kansas overturned the decision of the local draft board and drafted him. Mm -hmm. he, had a, he had a deferral and they took him anyway. So you thought he was going to stay and then yeah. 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 Wow. yeah. And how long were you gone? A year to the day overseas in Vietnam. A year to the day. Okay, wow. And a total 19 months. Okay, because training beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Were you guys able to communicate through letter during that time? We wrote letters. Okay. Yeah, lots and lots and lots of letters. Okay. Almost every day. His mother wrote every day. I wrote almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to measure up to her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. Was that, were you, for you, was that really a fearful time? I mean, just being worried about Jerry and what was going on? I'm not a worrier. Okay. I didn't worry about him. I sh I don't know why not. Mm -hmm. God's protection, I mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. Um, I was busy. Mm -hmm. Meg was born a month after he left. Mm -hmm. Well, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw him twice during that year. He came home. He escorted a friend's body home. Oh wow. Um, how was that? It was early in your marriage. Did you, could you, can, if you think about it now, how did that time kind of shape your marriage after that happened? Well, Jerry learned not to be picky about food. Because <laughs> when you're in the bush in Vietnam, you're just really thankful for anything that isn't sea rations that comes in a little can like this. Um, honestly, that did make a difference. Because he was used to meat and potatoes, and I was used to, I don't know, more mixed food, and mm -hmm. you know, so he he was real easy to feed when we when he came home. Mm -hmm. um, we were thankful to be together, mm -hmm. you know. He did come home, mm -hmm. and um, and all that led to ten moves in a brief amount of time. It did. Um, so, you know, the Lord's plan is is so interesting. So we moved to um, a little town near Bloomington, Indiana, where Jerry's sister lived. And we loved his sister a lot, and Jerry was really good friends with her husband. Um, and he went to Indiana University and got a degree in a master's degree in student personnel administration. Student 
student personnel administration, which is college administration. Mm -hmm. And um, that was just the degree he needed to be a seminary president. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he didn't use it for many years. Well, I mean, he did. He got a job at Sterling College and um, worked there for five years. So he practiced at being mm -hmm. a college administrator. Um, but we made a lot of little short moves, mm -hmm. a lot of little short moves. And did you still just have Meg at that point, or? We had Christy two years later. Okay. She was born in Bloomington. Okay. She was born um, in the same hospital where Baby Doe was born, who was a, the first baby that was allowed to die because it had Down syndrome. And it was all in the newspapers and everything. Mm -hmm. And it was at the same time, right? I don't remember that. I think that is, I think it's correct. Because that doctor that came and took care of Christy tried to save that, tried to feed that baby. And they found him in the room and made him leave. Yeah. Yeah. So it might not have been exactly the same, but I think it was 19. I don't know. She was born in 72. I don't know. I'd have to look up baby Doe yeah. in Bloomington Hospital. But our pediatrician tried to save that baby's life and didn't succeed. Um, so Christy's birth was traumatic. And her life was traumatic also. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to share about it? Yeah. So Christy was born. I was... I had just turned 24. And you were 25, something like that. Yeah. I didn't know anything about anything really <laughs> um, I know anything it's so different now like now if you have a child that's born not breathing you're gonna get some help we got no help mm -hmm. zero nothing so if this baby that cries all the time Turns out she's blind in one eye and deaf in the opposite ear. Mm -hmm. And I think her blood sugar was going like this because she was born with a blood sugar count of eight and it should be 80. Mm -hmm. um, she wasn't breathing, her heart wasn't beating. I think it was beating very, very, very slowly. Yeah. Or she would have died. Um, we didn't have any money so the plan was to like have the baby and go home and we couldn't do that because the baby wasn't well mm. so um, we didn't know how we were going to pay for it but I stayed in the hospital a couple days and um, there was an she was born she born in the evening? Yeah. Six o'clock or something like that yeah. in the evening. Yeah. And in the middle of that night, I heard hospital personnel running in the hallways and shouting. 
and I thought, whose baby could this be? <laughs> it could be mine. <laughs> My baby was born in distress, <laughs> and it was. Um, she had, she was having seizures, mm-hmm. and um, so, you know, it was just a long, it was just a long route. She put on medicine, and um, it probably sedated her some, but of course she had to have it. They didn't let me breastfeed her, which was. She'd already been in the hospital for 11 days. I mean, she stayed in the hospital for 11 days, so, you know, I didn't bond well with her. Mm-hmm. Um, she cried all the time. I didn't understand her. Um, so I didn't know what was wrong with her. I didn't... It was hard. Mm-hmm. Jerry was having some spiritual issues at the time, and... It was a heavy time. <laughs> it was a heavy time. Yeah, it was. Um, so, the be- when we did in the when, I don't know in the summer after Christy was born, we moved to California to help with a church plant in Southern California mm-hmm. that didn't really take off too well. But we lived there for about a year before we went to Sterling College mm-hmm. and. There was a doctor there who said, I think this baby needs glasses. And she got glasses when she was 15 months old, and they helped her. Mm -hmm. So she was more aware of her surroundings and so forth. Mm -hmm. Did you guys have support or people that stepped in and mentored you or helped you guys through this in the church? Not too much, some. We did have a little help. My parents lived there, but they were both working and they were an hour away, and um, they helped us some. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember in sort of a, a neighbor, I don't know where I met her. Anyway, she was very kind to me. I think she could see I was struggling with these two children. Mm-hmm. and um, She would invite me in for coffee. and. Um, you know, just let the kids play. Um, and then we moved to Sterling, Kansas, and Jerry became dean of students at Sterling College, and we were there for five years. And that was a good place for us. The little town was good for us. The church was good for us. Jerry liked his job. Um, yeah. And we we did a, we went to a place called the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential. And it was in Philadelphia and they worked with children with brain damage. Mm-hmm. And they gave us a program to do with Christy that was 11 hours a day. And it was scheduled by the minute, wow. like six minute intervals or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very intense. Um, she was about four. And we, we did we have 30 volunteers from the, from mm-hmm. the town and the church really organized that for us mm-hmm. and like the local sorority brought us meals once a week and they were always good mm-hmm. and um, I don't know what else they did they did a lot of things for us they raised money mm-hmm. that's what they did people donated money mm-hmm. like knocked on our door and said here this is money for your daughter wow. mm-hmm. and that paid for our trips to Philadelphia 
and what about emotional support like did you have an older mother who had also had trouble with some of her kids that you could talk to and just have that emotional support and that spiritual mentorship with there was like an adult young adult group that met once a month or something there were 20 of us who got together for uh, young adults yeah a dinner once a month people you know met at somebody's house people brought stuff so the years in Sterling were good I think we felt supported Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard living with a child with brain damage they, they're just not regular mm-hmm. they're just not like the other kids um, but Christy got she made a lot of progress she learned to read um, and that was wonderful that's what she does most of the time now is read mm. she, I mean she oh that's how she survived her childhood was reading and um, that was, was that, that progress was that part of the the intense regimen did that yes that it help? was wow. we made we made car, uh, word cards that were like this shape, long mm-hmm. rectangles, and wrote words with big red, red, big red letters. And we had like seven in a bunch, and we would just read them to her, you know, just show them to her like at regular intervals all day long, like uh-huh. 20 times. So she yeah. learned to read by sight reading? She did. Okay. Wow. She learned very fast. Wow. Yeah. And it wasn't long before I was like, cutting up little golden books mm-hmm. and writing the words in pretty big red print and by putting the pictures on, mm-hmm. cutting out the pictures and tape gluing them on. Wow. And, um, and she read those books, she loved those books. Yeah. And then she just graduated to large print books. And yeah, by the time she was five, she was definitely reading. Wow. Just she was reading a storm. Yeah. Which is really amazing, considering mm-hmm. she, I mean, you see her, she has a huge amount of brain damage. Mm-hmm. She is a very handicapped adult. Um, but she was way more handicapped before we did this program. Mm-hmm. Way more handicapped. I can't imagine what she would have been like, because she didn't make the kind of progress that we hoped for. but. She made a lot of progress. Yeah. What were um, some of the things that you struggled with during that time? Anger. Lots of pressure. Lots of. Well, I had always had, I always had struggled with anger. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, children will push you there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and Luke was born in Sterling. And um, so, you know, I had three instead of two. And um, just a lot of pressure I had. Did you have... um, And feelings of just not being able to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't... I don't know. We never had, like, any kind of... Never saw... a a series on parenting. Mm. Never, I don't know when I read my first book about parenting, but it wasn't then. Um, I, 
people in many ways, you know. I wasn't really prepared for marriage or parenting. We had good, pretty good role models, both of us. Mm -hmm. um, yes, we did. Yeah. My mom was terrific. She was a saint. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> She's a saint. Yeah. What were some of the things that drew you to God or helped you work through your anger? Um, I think just my inadequacy, realizing, you know, I'm, this is so hard. I, I don't know how to do this. I would get up, I would try to make sure I got up before Christy in the morning um, because she always woke up screaming. Mm -hmm. And that was... You know, that's kind of shattering. And it was usually by 6 o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, so I just tried to get up before her and read my Bible and pray and just try to be a little more spiritually prepared for the day. And then at what point did you guys adopt? Because that comes not during Sterling. They were both in Columbus. felt very led by the Lord to mm -hmm. adopt these kids. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I second guess that a lot of times these days. You know, did I want this baby too much? <laughs> so you parented someone with brain damage and now parenting adopted kids is also different. Yeah. How... Yeah. Did we didn't really know how different it might be. Mm. We really didn't. Again, I don't think we were very prepared for it. I don't think we... I had read a lot of books about adopted kids, but I didn't ever quite figure out that adopted kids might come with problems that mm. you just don't know what to do with. They're mm -hmm. so unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. Just, I call it birth mother problems. You know, at a certain mm -hmm. age, which for him was nine, mm -hmm. he just said to us one day, I miss my birth mother. Mm -hmm. Like, what? How can you miss your birth mother? You don't even know who she is. How could mm -hmm. you miss her? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew it mattered. I didn't say that to him, but I was trying to process it. Mm -hmm. You guys have been through a lot, and I know there's even more you haven't necessarily shared that you guys have been through. And um, what... Looking back, what have you learned about grief and how scripture speaks to grief or how to help others with grief? Just, you know, lessons on grief. Feel free to add. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing is that everybody has grief and there is so much sorrow in the world, mm -hmm. you know, so much sorrow. And so if, you, if you've learned about sadness and grief, you can empathize with other people. Mm -hmm. You can comfort them. You can just sit with them. You can hold their hand. You can cry with them. Um, you can share scripture with them. But you gotta, I mean, I also learned, you know, not to share scripture 
to share scripture carefully because mm -hmm. people can think you're just trying to brush them off or put on a band-aid mm -hmm. and no band-aid is big enough mm -hmm. for whatever it is they're dealing with you mm -hmm. know so um, and that God comforts us God is in control God what was that verse Elsa said the other night it was just so encouraging to me probably read it a hundred times but didn't really see it mm. about um, the God of all the earth will he not do what is right something like yeah. that it's mm. Genesis 18 um, it's you know it's it's a, sort of a hard reality but God is if you if you can really believe that God created all things and he created the people involved in this problem whatever the problem is and the situation he knows it and will he not do the right thing mm -hmm. won't he he will do the right thing I mean it's a rhetorical question mm -hmm. Uh, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is what is just? Mm -hmm. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And that was regarding Sodom. Mm -hmm. um, and I still think there's an awful lot of hard things. Mm -hmm. you know, I just got a text message from an old friend in Sterling, Kansas this morning. And... Uh, I looked at my clock, my phone at 5.53, just checking the time. And she had sent this long text message saying, the Lord has put you on my heart, put you and Jerry on my heart so often. <laughs> and she's older than us. And she was saying, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are going to heaven. And I know our time is coming. It's sad to see your old friends die. Mm -hmm. Or your not so old friends. <laughs> you know? Just, you know, things are hard. Life is hard. Mm -hmm. Life is hard. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, um, the Lord uses grief, He uses it to teach us lessons, teach us that we're not in control. That he is, that he's good. There's a lady at church that she's been through a lot of hard things. Her son died of a drug overdose not so many years ago. Her grandchildren are in trouble. She says, God is good. God is good. <laughs> Thank you, Lee. Thank you for reminding me this. God is good. Mm -hmm. The Lord yeah. knows what he's doing. And we know something more of what Christ did for us. Yeah. Yeah. Understand that more. And sin is not trifling. Sin destroys people. Mm -hmm. Destroys lives. Mm 
Jerry and I handle grief differently. I mean, he, I think you look at it differently. I get so emotional. And he's sad, but he doesn't. It doesn't affect you the same way. And that's fine. Except when I want it to affect you like it affects me. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell Jerry sometimes, he'd say, you're, you know, we got to settle down or whatever. I said, I said, no. I said, this passion, you know, that I'm so angry about this terrible issue, or I'm so sad about it or whatever, if that passion is the same thing that you love in me, mm -hmm. that, you know, I get so excited about something, or he talks about when we were in college, and I was a cheerleader, and we made signs and put them up in the gym, you know, and somebody from the other school was taking down our signs, and I ran up the bleachers. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all, all character qualities have mm -hmm. positive and negative mm -hmm. outworkings, I think. And mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> Very patient and steady. Even now as he struggles with like finding words mm -hmm. I would get angry mm -hmm. because I couldn't find the words mm -hmm. he doesn't <laughs> it's a gift <laughs> it is partly a gift you know yeah. that's your personality yeah. but it's also it's also God's grace So that where you have to have the passion for both of you, right? So yeah. <laughs> and he's got the calm for both of them. Yeah. <laughs> how did um, how did your marriage and working through these difficult things? How did that kind of develop over the years of working together or communicating about your anger or or just how where you were at with that in your marriage? Lots, some very hard conversations. Yeah. Yeah. The big issues we had to have really serious talks about. Mm -hmm. And they were hard. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think it was incredibly important that we had those talks. Mm -hmm. we'll try to work things through. Yeah. Sometimes we didn't make so much progress, mm -hmm. but then, but it was a beginning. Mm -hmm. And then we could both think about it. And mm -hmm. Did grief naturally bring you guys together, or did it often, did it sometimes pull you apart and you had to fight that? It's a good question. I think it pulled us together. I think mostly. Mm -hmm. I can remember a couple times with Jonathan uh, where 
I felt like he was pulling us apart. Mm. You remember that? We yes. were sitting right over here to talk. Yeah. I tend to remember places, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. situations, just pictures mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah. And we said, we can't let this happen. We can't let this happen. Mm-hmm. We have to be united. We have to think this through, how we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And we did better. Yeah. You do learn from experience. Mm-hmm. And God teaches us over a series of events and years, and we grow in our knowledge of Him, and our faith grows, and mm-hmm. um, you just can't know everything when you're young. Mm-hmm. You just can't. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. It's mm-hmm. like a 12-year-old trying to be an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. And when you're 25 and you have two little kids, it's great to have an, a, somebody who's already walked that road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we might think we know, but need wisdom. Mm. <laughs> you know a lot. You can Google everything and know things, but what we need <laughs> is wisdom from yeah. those who've yeah. walked before us. Yeah. And people need personal they need the personal mm-hmm. touch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You just can't. I don't think you can tell people how they have to walk through their grief. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can be critical of people who it seems like they never get over it. I don't know. I don't know how to tell. What right do I have to say to you it's time to stop acting this way? Mm-hmm. Sorrow is just, it's so personal, it so, can be so deep. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I haven't experienced, you know, like, Christy lived, so we didn't have the sorrow of a child dying. I often have thought and sometimes said, I think her death might have been easier than her living. Mm-hmm. And I still think that's true. But I could be wrong. It could have devastated me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just don't think you can. I think you just have to be there for people. Mm-hmm. We've had hard things, but we haven't had sorrow like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. It does seem like your hard things are have stayed with you, you know, day yeah, by day. Yeah, they just stick. They just <laughs> stick around. They stick around. <laughs> and, and I think some people, you know, that's a type of grief that, you know, something you're just working through day by day. And being able to hold that grief and hope in Christ together, you know, even modeling that to others, to the church, is really... yeah valuable and teaches you know and when you're your age you don't you can't even imagine mm-hmm. what it's like 50 years down the road mm-hmm. you just can't you can't imagine mm-hmm. no way mm-hmm. you can't but it is um, I think this year I've really 
been noticing in my friendships and relationships with older people, how you see their walk with the Lord and the way they've been sanctified and that they have this relationship with Christ that you long for, you know, or that you know you're going to also have as you walk the road with Him. And I think it's special that you do see that because I think a lot of people don't have that insight. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, So I think it's a gift for you to have that. That you're kind of pursuing learning about what people who are older than you are the Lord has taught them. And I think that's a great gift for you. It'll serve you well. I wonder why the Lord wants you to know this. (laughs) What he's preparing you for. (laughs) Very blessed by older women stepping in and mentoring me. So I want that gift to be available to everybody. Because it's just, it's been so helpful. I'm so glad it's been helpful. You know, I mean, I know it's not just me. You've talked to other people too. My name is Jonathan Cruz, Evelyn's husband. I'm the producer for Oaks of Righteousness, and at this point in every episode, we will have a younger woman share some of her reflections on the interview. Today we have Elsa Sturm, who will introduce herself now. Well, as Jonathan and Evelyn said, I'm Elsa Sturm. Um, Jerry and Anne are my grandparents. They're my mother's parents. They... um, they moved to Pittsburgh right after I was born, so they've been, <laughs> they've been, um, uh, we've gone to church together for as long as I can remember. Um, they've always been a, a part of my life. I'm currently um, the wife of a seminary, I'm the wife of someone who's currently a seminary student. Um, my husband, Jonathan, is in his second year at seminary. Um, the same seminary where um, my grandpa Jerry used to be the president. In listening to the conversation between my grandparents, I was struck again um, by something that I often think about, which is just how much I love and um, admire their marriage. Um, mm-hmm. My grandparents, who I call Papa and Nana, are just crazy about each other and always have been. Um, that's something that's really encouraging to me as I look forward to the future um, and think about how many people have said your marriage will get less and less exciting or um, harder and harder to work at. But when I look at people like Papa and Nana, I'm encouraged that um, I can see that their love for each other is um, grown and become um, more and more beautiful and comfortable over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I loved when they shared how they met and everything. It's just so fun to hear. And then, like, from that really sweet beginning, just seeing how even the sorrow in their life has really strengthened their marriage and, yeah, helped them to, like, grow together and help each other through it and lean on God together and remind each other to do that. Yeah, I think that um, for my grandparents, but especially for um, Nana, a lot of the suffering in her life has been long-term, that mm-hmm. it hasn't been mm-hmm. um, a, a small or short season. Um, it hasn't, the grief hasn't um, come and gone, but it's been um, lasting. And so 
um, watching Nana as an example of how to um, live well, live with contentment, live with peace, live with joy in the face of daily challenging um, circumstances mm -hmm. with um, no hope of a quick change um, has been really impactful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. That endurance and I know <laughs> I don't know if I would have the strength for that, but I guess, you know, all the glory God goes to God and the spirit for giving her strength to do that. Um, I remember her saying that reminding me even like just remember everyone has their sorrows you know like she's not even though she has these lifetime sorrows she's not self-consumed by her sorrows she's still looking outward you know to others and actually in fact noticing other sorrows even more because of the sorrow that God has brought to her and um, I think that is a testament of just the spirit working in their lives and helping them minister to others that's been really encouraging to me yes it's been something that um has definitely been really helpful to me as well. Um, I know that growing up we often think of our grandparents as people that watch us when our parents aren't there or people that take us out to get ice cream or um, to special events. But in recent years I've really um, learned to enjoy and appreciate um, talking with um, Papa and Nana about their lives. Um, and really accessing the wisdom that they have and the help that they have mm -hmm. um, in times of struggle in my life, um, knowing that they are praying for me, um, speaking from their own experiences, mm -hmm. um, things that will help, um, calling me, checking up on me, um, all of those things are really precious to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And they're just, in the episode, they reminded me too, like there is, the Bible has a whole, I mean, it's filled with lament, you know, and teaching us how to lament and how to grieve. It doesn't say don't grieve. It says grieve as those with hope, which they picture that, you know, um, that they are sitting in the ashes and they're really long-term sorrowful things and yet they're always looking to Christ and they're waking up knowing his faithfulness is new every morning and seeing that, um, is just, you know, we, uh, we do learn from those who've gone before us. They are witnesses, as Hebrews 11 talks about. And I, you know, for me, Jerry and Anne have been one of those witnesses in my life that I know will be, are a couple I'll think of continually when who knows what kind of things God sends to me throughout life. And I will say as well that um, although my grandparents have known a lot of sorrow in their life, I don't think of them as sad people. Mm -hmm. um, they're people that are filled with joy and thankfulness. Mm -hmm. um, they're people that um, see all of the ways that God has blessed them and rejoice in those. Um, they are um, a great example in that way. Yeah, I do think that's like an important thing to emphasize, that their joy, the joy they have in the Lord. Um, and even, you know, I think a lot of times with sorrow, we try to help someone feel good or feel blessed by the sorrow by saying, oh, God will use this to help others, which you've seen that with Ann and Jerry, and that is an important thing to think about. Um, but even a greater purpose for our sorrow is the gracious fact that sorrow helps us understand more what Christ did for us and helps us cling fervently to him. And then, because you see Ann and Jerry do that, you see their joy and their thankfulness. That has been really encouraging to me because um, 
my personality is um, really similar to Nana's. Um, I'm also um, pretty emotional um, and feel strongly all of the ends and edges of the emotional spectrum. Um, and so, um, again, just having Nana as an example of um, how to do that well. You know, the Bible mm -hmm. says both to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And I think cultivating our ability to um, do both of those things, to access both ends of the spectrum, um, to both share people's joy and to share people's mm -hmm. sorrow is really important. A lot of people tend to gravitate towards one or the other, mm -hmm. um, more focusing on everything that's going wrong and how sad everything is, or not wanting to hear about bad things and only wanting to hear good mm -hmm. news all the time. But I think um, that perspective of um, that passion and emotion being really related and that being mm -hmm. able to rejoice deeply is the same as being able to um, really grieve is a really great way to think about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you just outlined, you know, just strong biblical emotion. Like, it's sort of stereotypical in the world to equate emotion with weakness, but the Bible's full of really good biblical emotion, and I think Anne is just an example of doing that well and being a strong woman that you know anyone could see and I see those traits in you as well. All right, thank you Elsa for your time and sharing your reflections and to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed the first episode of Oaks of Righteousness. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that it will encourage you to earnestly seek relationships from the wise women and men in your church community. If you are older and listening, I hope this podcast encourages you to seek us younger ones out and speak into our lives. We often have to cut interesting stories and details for the sake of time. If you are interested in hearing a full, unedited version of this interview, please email us at cruise.oaks at gmail.com, and we would be happy to share that with you. If you know of someone to recommend that we interview, we love getting suggestions. Again, you can email us with recommendations at cruise.oaks at gmail.com. That's K-R-U-I-S period oaks at gmail.com. Isaiah 61.3 To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified.